Now, Skip, obviously it was such a memorable season a year ago, coming oh so close to bringing home a College World Series title. That said, uh, your program lost a lot of guys from last year's team. And for those that uh, maybe aren't quite as familiar with what you're going to be rolling with this season, talk about some of the key contributors that you lost in terms of guys that graduated, guys that moved on to the professional level, and who are some of the names, who are some of the individuals that folks can expect to see in replacement of the, some of those studs that were critical to the team's success last year, like Tanner Treadaway, Blake Roberts, and Jimmy Crooks. Yeah, I mean, losing 11 guys off your current team that were really impact players for us. You talked you talked about it, Tanner Treadaway, uh, Peyton Graham, Jimmy Crooks. Jimmy Crooks was really a – I mean, he had different signals for every pitcher. I mean, he had he was so locked in to those guys. Um, uh, uh, Roberson, first base, just a, a guy that was just a grinder that really made up the, the toughness of our team. I mean, if you're playing uh, uh, the first pitch of the game against Notre Dame in the, in the World Series, he goes over and hits and dives in their dugout, flips over. They got they had to be sitting in the dugout and like, hey man, what the hell are we? What I mean, who are we playing? These guys don't care about their body; they just get after it. And that's the things that you, you lose, that little, that little fight, that little spirit, and now you got 30 new guys on your roster. We can make excuses. We can feel sorry for ourselves, but nobody else is going to do it. The game's not going to do it. The game demands you to go out and practice it and be intent and have purpose and have a plan and have a program that you continue to do it. I mean, nobody's going to feel sorry for us that uh, we lost all those guys. We've got we to gotta overcome that. We've got to be better than that. We've got to continue to work on the, the fundamentals of the game. We've got to be better fundamentally, fundamentally with two strikes, fundamentally throwing pitches with two strikes. Uh, I mean, all kinds of plans that we've got to continue to grow in and get better at. You do have one player that's really caught my eye, and I think a lot of the fan base as well, Dakota Harris. Um, I, I think the numbers right now probably look pretty good for him at the plate. And I guess anytime what you're playing shortstop and hitting in the middle of the order – you're going to catch a lot of people's eyes. But he had that big hit Monday against Air Force in the bottom of the eighth that kind of won the game. Um, even a big hit last night that tied the game in, what, the top of the ninth. So how how do you, how big is that for him, you know, coming into the program? And throughout the first five games, he's had at least two really clutch hits in late-inning situations. Yeah, he's a really good baseball player. And uh, uh, the things that he came up clutch with was really big. I mean, the bats before that, uh, a sign of a good hitter, the bat before last night, he came up with second and third, and he gets big and, and tries to run a ball of the yard, pops up to the left fielder. And then the next time, next time, next at bat, he just got to a two strike approach and hit the ball the other way. It was a big walk by um, uh, Bryce Madrin to get get on first base with two outs, and he's still second in, the, in, a, in a good read and a good count. And Dakota, Dakota Harris, you know, put a good swing on it, and it was bang bang. But what you didn't see in that deal is. When he when he makes the turn to to go to second, he stops. Yeah. If he just keeps going to second, it's not even close. So now we got a guy to take the lead and score position, but he he rounds it. That's the fundamentals that we're talking about. That we got to continue to get cleaned up. No different than on the mound. Um, we get in a situation where uh, uh, we're making a two strike pitch. Uh, we got to we got to if you're hitting your pitch, you got to throw that ball out of the zone down down lower. I mean, that's but you 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 reward the guy because he has the guts to throw it in there. You know they're going to hit seven out of ten. They're only going to hit three out of ten of them. You have to have the guts to fail to also succeed. But if you have conviction in what you do, you're going to succeed more times than you fail. 
and that's the thing that these these guys continue. They've got to continue to learn is have conviction in their plan or their program and what they're doing. It's hard to do because baseball wants you to feel that way. Baseball wants you to keep fighting at it, but it demands you to to stick with your plan, your routines. I mean, it just demands you to do it. And now the shot clock or the the pitch clock has made a different turn on on releasing pitches and getting rushed a little bit. It, there's an ongoing process as we go through it, as we as we're going in these games. It's just total taking the concept of what you're trying to teach to get you sped up instead of slowing you down. The game of baseball, you have to slow down, to slow it down. Like, how how do you hit a guy that throws 100 miles an hour? You think you go? I get shorten the ball? my swing. Yeah, you shorten your swing, but what you do is you get on time with it. You go earlier. You slow and earlier so you can see the ball. All these, all these, all these hitting coaches, they go out there and they talk about how do you hit somebody that throws hard. You don't go get the ball. You let the ball come to me, but you you get on time with it. You slow it down. The same thing with a pitcher. You want him to make a big pitch in the game. He's got to be focused on visualization to to uh, to make that pitch. That's the power of the secret. Now it's hard. It's easy for us to sit here and talk about, but it's hard for those guys to live. Now, Skip, you rewinded 2022. It really did seem like this program hit a different gear when some no-name freshman outfielder named John Spikerman really emerged from relative obscurity to become one of the most effective leadoff hitters and defensive right fielders in the entire country. So stepping into his sophomore year and a full-time role in this lineup, what do you, what do you expect from Spike in year two? Well, number one, I don't expect him anything just to give effort every day. I can't. We can't control if he gets ten hits or not. If he if he just gives you effort, his effort's good enough because he is a good player and he's going to be a superstar. But he still has growing deals. You know, he got back to hitting right-handed. Uh, he hit left-handed all year for us last year, so he's he's a dynamic switch hitter. Can really really run. I mean, he he's going to put pressure on the defense if he just understands his identity and who he is. Not a home run hitter. He's a gap to gap hitter. If a home run comes, it comes. I mean, pitchers throw home runs. Hitters don't hit them, and uh, uh, we got to be on time to do that. I think I think thing with Spikerman is he's got to continue to uh, create things in his identity. One thing that he can do better than anybody, just better, just about better than anybody in the country is run. So what is he going to do to hit? If he hits fly balls. Has nothing to do with it. Out of ten fly balls you hit, your own base percentage is less than ten percent. Out of 10 ground balls, your on-base percentage is 43%. Out of 10 line drives, it's 84%. So you got to teach him to hit ground balls and line drives. That's who he is. And so the more he understands and figures out his identity and who he is, that's what Coach Rayleigh and Coach uh, uh, Willis, they continue to harp on him. You know, you just got to keep – you know, you, can lead, you heard the theory you can lead a horse to water, you can't make him drink it. You just got to keep leading the water, keep telling him who his identity is and what he does. And sooner or later, he's going to figure that out as you go through it. OU baseball head coach Skip Johnson is our guest. Three games set in Norman this weekend. Friday at 3 p.m., Saturday at 2 p.m., and Sunday at 2 p.m. So make it out to the ballpark this weekend. And I know that you want an incredible environment out there. You're trying to build one of the best environments in college baseball. And, Skip, my question with that is, what does that mean when you have one of those? Where do you see the most effect? If you've got one of the best college baseball environments in the country, does that affect the opposing pitcher the most? Um, does it affect your own team the most in a positive way? Like, What does that mean and what does that look like when you have that? A couple things. It, number one, it does affect the other team because when they feel the pressure of it. I mean, a lot of people, you know, I, 
I, I was really fortunate to learn from Coach Garrido. I really thought I knew what I was doing when I went, went into the University of Texas from Navarro Junior College. I'd go down there. My first two years, I'd really work on, man, I'm, I'm working on their work on their uh, uh, repeating their delivery, work on on uh, their pitches, work on, uh, you know, all the things that happen, holding runners. And all of a sudden, you know, after my second year there, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm not working on what they go through, what a pitcher really goes through, the environment. Like, there are people yelling and screaming. The only thing they can control is is throwing the ball to the mitt. That's the only thing they can control. So I, I, I challenge our pitchers this year, put a tangible – go up of a picture of a mitt next to their next to where they brush their teeth next to the bed and that's the only thing they can control they can't control if they hit or hits it or not only thing they can control is throw it to a ball to the mitt with a plan and conviction it makes them makes them more competitive when they understand that so when you have fans that are just going crazy just they're they're into every pitch like our fans our fan support this past weekend was i've been here for five or six years was better than it has been in those years if we continue to grow, it's going to help those those pitchers to go out there, and good pitchers will go out there, and they'll get out of rhythm. And once you get them out of rhythm, they'll start trying really hard. And when you try in baseball, you fail miserably. I mean, it's incredible. The second thing is it makes our players better because they're excited to see people play. I remember our team last year. I mean, it was incredible. This this is a good story for you. You talk about environment, empire yeah. environment. All right. We're in we're in the national championship game, all right. We're facing the pitcher in the national championship game, and we had every pitch out of the windup, and every pitch out of the stretch by the what he was throwing, how he set his hands, how his hands went over his head out of the windup, how he set his hands in the stretch. We had every pitch. When I'm telling you, breaking ball, change up, fastball, every hitter knew it, and that guy had a no hitter through five innings against us. That's environment. There were 25,000 Ole Miss fans and there were, you know, six or seven OU fans, six or 7,000 OU fans. You think about that. I mean, sure. that's how empire, that's a powerful environment. And where we're going in the SEC, every team has that kind of fan support. They're, they're, I mean, I, we, we went to Globe Life last night and uh, uh, the groundskeeper, Dennis, his son goes to OU and, and he was talking about how crazy the uh, Arkansas fans were. He said, "Man, it was the, the environment was crazy here this past weekend when they had that tournament in Globe Life." And I'm like, "Yeah, I mean, we walked into a fall fall game in a fall baseball game, and there were ten thousand people when we played them three years ago in a fall baseball game." And it was, it, I mean, I, our our players really get fired up when when those guys uh, uh, when the fans show up and they really have support of those guys, like they're clapping, you know, for the third strikeout, you know, or, or, you know, you go to Florida state and they're going and they're going they're, they They say something with two strikes. And I mean, it makes, it makes those guys swing the bat. They're like the, they're like the pinch hitter or they're like the, uh, the relief pitcher coming in they're, They help that much. I mean, it, it, it is crazy. Hey, Skip, last question uh, before we get you out of here. And we, and we talk a whole lot of recruiting on this show. I, I'm just interested in what a recruiting pitch from you sounds like. And maybe that differs from a pitcher to a position player. But, like, w- what does a recruiting pitch sound like to you? What do you really emphasize? Just kind of take us inside of that. Well, I'm, I mean, I, I'm not going to talk to them about facilities and stuff. 
because we got we've got facilities and we got stuff. You know, our facility can continue to get better with getting a new stadium. That helps. I mean, a lot of kids are materialistic today. They look at what you have, but here's what we're going to do to make you better. This is these are the things that we're going to we're going to develop you. Look at look at our track record of uh, of first round draft picks and our 31 pitchers have been drafted. There's a reason why professional teams are coming in here and getting these kids because they're ready to go in to play professional baseball. They're ready, they're ready socially. They're ready competitively because there's two different worlds that we live in. We're going to try to teach you. I, I talk about this all the time. Like Tiger Woods back in his heyday, it didn't matter if that guy was 175 or in a bunker or behind a tree. He's going to be able to get up and down anywhere. anywhere. Well, we've got to be able to make that adjustment. You're going to be taught that here at the University of Oklahoma. That's what we do. We, we're, we're going to teach you about who you are. We're going to teach you about the mental game. We're going to teach you about repeating your delivery, repeating your swing, your first step, your base running, how to be tough. All those things are going to be as you grow through it. I mean, just look at, look at Jake Bennett. I mean, he he's like, was like the poster child of our development. Kay Cavalli, uh, Cade Horton, those guys were good. But Jake Bennett was just a, a guy that was uh, – uh, 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 out of shape left-handed pitcher when he first got here. He took it on his own to change his body with our strength coach and our development program. And then we start working on his delivery. And then look at, look at how he uh, uh, grew as he got through it. I remember I was sitting in the bullpen yesterday, and they uh, uh, one of the uh, I think Kel Davis talked to JB, and he said when I when I just started talk when I just started thinking about executing pitches and just throwing the ball to target, and not worry about anything else I could control. It's that's when I started separating myself, and that's what we talk about. I mean, that's the that's he's Jake, Jake Bennett regurgitating our plan to a pitcher that's on our team today, and and it's pretty cool to hear that. Skip, awesome stuff as always. Best of luck this weekend, and thanks for uh, joining us for about twenty minutes here. Appreciate it. You bet. You guys have a great day, Boomer Sooner. There you go. OU head coach Skip Johnson. All right, we'll take a timeout, get to some uh, crouton on the other side. 405-651-3439 is the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Keep it locked right here on the ref. Locked in with McComas and Thune, live on the ref. We are the home of Sooner fans. Appreciate OU baseball head coach Skip Johnson for joining us last segment. I'm at the LNC today. That's right, the Lloyd Noble Center, because we have a huge weekend of OU athletics coming up in Norman. You've got OU baseball. You've got OU women's tennis. You've got OU women's hoops, OU women's gymnastics, all on campus this weekend, all in Norman this weekend. Go to Soonersports.com to uh, get your tickets. But OU Baseball got a three-game set. OU Women's Hoops, a massive game against Texas. OU wins that game on Saturday. They're in really good shape to uh, to win the conference. Uh, OU Women's Gymnastics, they, they have a home meet against West Virginia this weekend. And uh, OU Women's Tennis will have uh, several matches at their facility as well. So should be a lot of fun uh, this weekend in Norman. Hey, we heard from uh, Joe Castiglione earlier today on the ref, T-Row in the morning show, that Kyler Murray's statue uh, ceremony is indeed going to happen. Can we just go ahead and guess that once again, the spring game, if it's not going to be 
just one of the biggest weekends. It's going to be the biggest uh, recruiting weekend of the year. Is that fair to assume again? Yeah, and who was it that said yesterday that they bet the spring game doesn't even get 30,000 people in the building? <laughs> I'm going to take the heavy over uh, on that. Yeah, but yeah someone no, did say that. Other texters uh, wanted to get in on that action too, not just us. Yeah, there are already several blue-chip prospects in the 2024 class that I know of that are planning visits up for the spring game. But in the immediate future, March 4th and March 25th, are going to be huge days for Oklahoma in terms of visitors. So I don't know that the spring game will be the biggest day of the spring, but it'll be up there. Do you think, and, and I would guess probably no, to answer my own question before I even ask you, do you think that that's going to shift significantly once OU's in the SEC? And why I ask that is, you know, you're going to have better home matchups you're going to have better environments, and most importantly, Parker, you're going to have better kickoff times that, you know, are 2.30 or prime time at night to where athletes are, you know, more available to get to Norman on a Saturday. So this is kind of the way they do recruiting now. It feels like they like to get the bulk of the visits in in the offseason compared to during the season. But do you see a world where that shifts at all with the mood of the SEC and how things might dramatically change in, with, with Saturdays around here? I think there's going to be a big emphasis on game day visits when you have elite opponents come to town, which naturally is going to happen more frequently in the SEC than it will in the Big 12, right? There are going to be bigger games more frequently that mean more in the national landscape, not just conference-wide, but that have college football playoff implications. And I would figure there will be a concerted effort to get big-time visitors Every single time you're hosting an Alabama or an LSU or a Georgia, right? Probably doesn't carry the same weight if you got Mississippi State or Kentucky coming to town. But one guarantee that you have in the SEC is that you're going to have at least a game or two every year at home that's going to have major stakes when it comes to the college football playoff race. And that will be the type of environment, the type of moment that you'll want to get as many elite visitors in town for as possible. Yeah, and I guess the hope is that those games on a year-in, year-out basis are so massive that even if a kid has taken an official visit, he wants to take an unofficial that weekend. <laughs> like He'll come up on his own dime to see that one. You know, maybe someone that you don't lead for, and maybe he's got a visit playing later. Like Maybe you just get more just unofficials out of the deal with more big-time home games. I, I, just a random thought, but I think that that could absolutely happen. Yeah, it certainly could, especially locally. You know, guys in the DFW area, uh, even I would say even guys down in Austin, San Antonio, Houston, that have a desire to play in the SEC, that feel the pull of the SEC from where they're at in Texas, they're going to be more willing to drive up on a Saturday afternoon to be able to watch Oklahoma play Bama or Florida or Georgia. Uh, text line, is the Kyler statue going to be half the size of the other ones? You guys are funny today, huh? Uh, let's see. Skip is a national treasure. Oh, you better not ever let him get away. True. Um, let's see. Greg and Lawton says, Tyler, other than the Braves back in the day, I'm not a huge baseball fan, but I will admit I thoroughly enjoyed that interview. Well done as usual. Well, except for the pancakes or waffles. There were no pancake or, or waffles questions today. Uh, we, we did a good job with that. Uh, 405-651-3439, Air Covered Solutions text line. Hey, so how is um, how is TCU so far early in this 2024 cycle? They just had the best season 
in their program's history. I think by far they just played in a national championship game. We see that, you know, OU's in probably a one-on-one battle for Michael Hawkins Jr. Maybe OU is even head up against TCU for a couple of other elite prospects. I don't expect OU and TCU on a year-in-year-out basis to be going head-to-head for, you know, six, seven, eight players or anything like that. But is TCU early on capitalizing on the momentum that they had from this past season? And, and if they are, like, how would that necessarily affect OU? Well, to be honest, much like Oklahoma, Tyler, I think a lot of TCU's recruiting teeth, especially locally, in the 2024 class is going to be dictated by whether or not they can land Michael Hawkins. So TCU's got a lot riding on that. Their former quarterback commit, Marcus Tavila, finally officially decommitted last night. So now, and look, people wanted to make a, a lot of that on social media. In reality, that doesn't change anything with regard to Hawkins. The Davila decommitment was a matter of when, not if. So TCU, is they, they've got a lot riding on this battle for Hawkins, as does yeah. Oklahoma. And I would say TCU probably has more riding on it than OU does just because you do want to be able to capitalize on the momentum, but you did lose the offensive mastermind in Garrett Riley that helped lead you to the college football playoff. And so Kendall Bryles is certainly a guy with a resume of his own, but are prospects as eager to jump on board with TCU under the direction of Kendall Bryles as they would have been with Garrett Riley at the helm? I don't know. Yet to be seen. By the way, when we uh, first hopped on the air, there was uh, at least one Wanye Morris question that popped up on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. So I guess that answers the question that I was going to ask. Is everyone getting their hopes up about Wanye Morris playing at OU next year? I wouldn't be getting my hopes up, but I I guess there's at least a few out there that saw that video last night. And it was interesting. I got to say, I mean, it was a little interesting, but... I, I I don't think that he'll be on the roster next year. That's, yeah, that's yeah, my, no. my hunch. No, no, no. Wanya Morris is not coming back. I don't know why anyone would have read into the video that he posted as a return to Oklahoma. And also, if he was coming back to Oklahoma, he wouldn't have left things as cryptically as he left them last night. That was just basically yeah. a hype video for his own sake. Uh, any news on the Seth Latrell acquisition, asked Camo Sooner. That rumor's been out there for about, what, a week or so, I guess? Yeah, I, I, I expect that to happen. I don't really have a timetable on it. And so I th- feel like we're just waiting for the shoe to drop. If, if that happens, and, and, and it'll be in an off-the-field role, it'll be as an offensive analyst, that's, that's a big deal. Um, obviously, Seth has had success as an offensive coordinator across college football, but he's been a head coach as well. And even though he got – fired at North Texas, which a lot of people disagreed with that, including OU offensive line coach Bill Biedenboe. He made that very clear. I think anyone who's been paying attention, they, they know Seth Latrell has some real abilities. And I think when Jeff Levy takes a head coaching job, whether that's after this year or in two years or whatever that is, if Seth Latrell is still sticking around at OU in an off-the-field role, I think that there's a very good chance, Parker, that – He's your next offensive coordinator. In fact, if you were to release odds right now on who the next OUOC is after Jeff Levy, not knowing for sure when he was going to leave, I bet Seth Latrell's odds would be right there at the top of the list. Yeah, it'd be probably be a push between him and Joe John Finley. Uh, also, C.J. Colden just put out a very similar video 
on Twitter to the one that Wanya Morris put out. So CJ Colden's coming back too, folks. Everybody's running it back. Hey, all uh, right. They, they don't have enough. They don't have enough scholarships for this. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, it, it it was a pretty cruel video, though, right? I don't know if he knew what he was doing or just releasing a hype video, but he was playing with the emotions of some fans because offensive line might be the biggest question mark going into the year. So some people were hoping that maybe that's a sign the improbable could happen and he could come back. But, yeah, I don't, can I, I don't think that there's anything there. Can there's I just not. go ahead and say that if he did come back, I'm not convinced he would start? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can say that. I don't. I don't think that you would necessarily be wrong about that either. I. I don't think that. I. I don't think that that's the hottest take that's going to be said today. Yeah, no, that? I. I don't think Juanye Morris is as good as Walter Rouse, and I don't think he's as good as Tyler Guyton. That is my I, opinion. That's fair. Four zero five six five one thirty four thirty nine is the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Get your curtain questions in. We'll get to those and a whole lot more coming up next. Keep it locked on the ref. Locked in with McComas and Thune, live on the ref. We're the home of Sooner, Sooner fans. I'm at the Lloyd Noble Center today right here in Norman because we're getting ready for a huge weekend of OU athletics. OU baseball is in town. OU women's tennis is in town. OU women's hoops with a massive game. Honestly, one of the bigger regular season games in a while for this program. They beat Texas on Saturday. There will be two games left. OU will be in great position to win the Big 12. Come out to that game 1 p.m. on Saturday. And um, maybe, just maybe, I think that there's probably a good possibility we might have uh, some tickets to give away to the OU Women's Hoops game. So listen today during the rush uh, for your chance to win. And you can listen uh, tomorrow as well. We should have plenty of tickets, or at least I hope. A lot of tickets to give away uh, here on the rep for the game on Saturday. And then uh, OU Women's Gymnastics, they're at home this weekend as well. 405-651-3439 is the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Peyton says, so I'm hopeful for Walter Rouse, but he has some work to do this offseason. Based on the stuff I saw uh, from him at Stanford, and I won't pretend I'm a subject matter expert, he left some to be desired. It gives me hope, though, that he acknowledged that and realized that that takes a lot of maturity and will hopefully lead to growth, which he, he's not he's not going to be available this spring, right? Uh, no, he's not. I don't believe so. With that labrum injury, he's still recovering. So he's going to they're going to take his or they're going to take their time getting him ready for action, but I do expect him to be one of your starting tackles at Oklahoma in 2023. Yeah, I, it just stinks that both he and Sexton aren't going to be available for the spring. Yeah. That's, you know, you would just like to have all hands on deck this spring because it's going to be a big developmental spring. It, at least I think that that's what the hope is, obviously. And if he's not available. Uh, but, you know, I, he, he's played a lot of football before. Like, I, I don't know if he's necessarily at the top of the list of guys that just, you know, need a spring under their belt. You're probably looking at some of those younger guys. But, yeah, obviously it would it would still be nice. Uh, 850 says, liking the idea of Joe John Finley as next OC. How long does Ruth stay and who will be the next DC once he gets the heck out? As far as Joe John Finley is the head coach, Hasn't there been a feeling that whenever Levy takes a head coaching job that he's really going to do his absolute best to try to take Joe John along with him as his OC? Yeah. So that could be a potential roadblock there, I guess. That would Honestly, that would kind of be my expectation is when Levy's gone, Finley's gone too. That said, 
Joe John, much like Lebby, is an alumnus of Oklahoma, and so maybe he isn't quite as eager to make the job. He, he also, look, if you have the choice between offensive coordinator at Oklahoma or offensive coordinator at wherever Jeff Lebby is the head coach. Missouri. Then, we talked yeah. about it yesterday, remember? Okay, sure. Let's take Missouri as an example. You think you feel like Joe John Finley would be more inclined to serve as OC at Oklahoma or at Missouri? I think it would be OU. That's just my opinion there, Tyler. But That might be a hotter take than what you said last segment. <laughs> no, but in look, in all seriousness, I think if Levy were to leave, Finley would leave too were he not to be promoted at Oklahoma. If Oklahoma gives Finley the impression and the understanding that, hey, when Levy's out the door, you're the next OC, then he'd probably be inclined to stick around. Kendall says, if you aren't excited about OU baseball after listening to Coach Skip, you don't have a pulse. Yeah, how about his thoughts on what um, what a home park advantage means for college baseball, huh? And how he cited the College World Series championship series last year against Ole Miss. That was that was something. Yeah, when for those of us that were in Omaha for the College World Series, as I like, it was noticeable. It was very noticeable that that stadium was no less than ninety percent full of Ole Miss fans. And so, look, that's. That's the beast that you're doing battle with as you enter the SEC. SEC fans are ravenous for all of their sports teams, and they travel in droves to the College World Series. That's not just true of Ole Miss. That's true of LSU. That's true of Florida. That's true of Mississippi State. So, yeah, there's going to have to be increased fan support for baseball in particular as you get ready to make the SEC move because – you can't fall behind in that respect, especially with Skip putting the emphasis that he did on the effect that it can have on the on-field product. 951, does DeMarco have any ambition to become an offensive coordinator? Uh, um, to be honest, I, I don't think so. I don't it think, doesn't feel like it. No, and I, I can tell you this with 100% certainty. DeMarco Murray is not in the coaching profession for the money. DeMarco Murray is in the coaching profession in order to develop young men and help out his alma mater. And so I, I'm not sure what type of upward mobility he necessarily wants to see himself have as a coach, but I don't think it's, you know, I, I don't think he's sitting there feeling like, oh, I got to make the next step. I got to make the next move towards being an OC or being a head coach. Right now, I think DeMarco Murray is perfectly comfortable with what he is and where he is, which is the running backs coach at the university that helped make him great. Um, by the way, I forgot we forgot to answer the second part of a text, who's the next defensive coordinator when, when Roof is, is gone. Um, I, I would guess Brandon Hall, if you're promoting from within, yep. I think B Hall would have a very good chance at that job. Yep. Yep. Give me B Hall for 1000, please. Which who was the uh, big 12 recruiter of the year this last cycle, huh? Big 12 recruiter of the year. Brandon Hall could be your uh, next defensive coordinator whenever that job yeah, look, is, uh, is open. Next. Look, people need to understand B Hall is a certified stud as a recruiter, as a developer, as a defensive mind, that, I would bet, good money is your next defensive coordinator at the University of Oklahoma. Hey, I'm going to read you the uh, top ten for the 2024 class way early, I know. Tell me if you have any big takeaways. Georgia currently has the number one class. They already have ten commits. 
three of those are five stars. Notre Dame is the uh, number two class, zero five stars. LSU at three, zero five stars. Florida State at four, one five star. Michigan at five, zero. Uh, Texas Tech at six, zero five stars. South Carolina at seven, no five stars. Oregon at eight, no five stars. Bama at nine, two five stars. And Duke at ten with zero five stars. Anything, um, anything pop out to you other than it looks very similar than last year? Notre Dame's a top two class, and Texas is uh, well within the top ten like they were at this time last year. Yeah, Duke at ten is obviously not going to last. My big takeaway there, Tyler, is apparently nobody but Georgia can get five stars in the boat early, which makes sense. Well, Georgia and Bama, Bama's got two, and Georgia's got three. But yes, fair point. I think Georgia and Bama already have about. 85% of the five stars that are committed somewhere. Yeah. Go figure. And those won't be the only three and two five stars those programs sign either. So, uh, not, I mean, look, that's just kind of – that's the way the recruiting rankings always look in February. You got the big boys, the heavy hitters, uh, kind of interspersed with a bunch of teams that – have made their runs early and are going to fade into oblivion just as soon as the rest of the recruiting world catches up to them. Yeah, well, Tech likes to get out to an early start, don't they? Tech likes to really peak inside the top ten of February. Because and then Texas, slowly but surely throughout the year, then it, 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 it goes down and down. And props to Texas Tech, man. They clean house in West Texas and in the panhandle, and that's how they get on the board early. They recruit very heavily within state lines, and they press guys that are regarded as fringe Power 5 players early in the process. And I would say in the majority of cases, those guys turn out to be very legitimate Power 5 players that ultimately end up getting pursued by other top programs across the country. But, you know, if you can develop that loyalty, you can develop those relationships early on, it's not easy to sway kids from Texas Tech with what Joey McGuire and his staff have put into place out there. Yeah. All right, 405-651-3439 is the Air Comfort Solutions text line. We'll close up Locked In. Coming up next, keep it locked in the ref. Locked in with McComas and Thune. Live on the ref, we're the home of Sooner fans. I'm at the LNC today because it is a massive weekend of OU Athletics in Norman. OU Women's Tennis will be in town. Arkansas, they'll host the Hogs at 10 a.m. Uh, Saturday night. That, that, by the way, that's 10 a.m. on Saturday. Missouri State, 5 p.m. on Saturday. And then a 1 p.m. match on Sunday against Wichita State. OU Women's Tennis coach Audra Cohen joins us now. Audra, this sounds like a uh, really fun weekend in Norman. Uh, how, how are we feeling about things going into the weekend? Yeah, we're feeling great. I mean, it's great to host the Hogs here, and then uh, we have a doubleheader, so we play Arkansas first at 10 a.m., and then uh, Missouri State at 5 p.m., uh, and we actually don't play Wichita State until the following weekend. Oh, okay. I read that one yeah. wrong then, but still still a big Saturday, though. Still a big Saturday yeah, with the doubleheader. Huge, huge Saturday. We need a lot of people out at uh, 10 a.m. against Arkansas. So you were recently in the uh, ITA National Indoor Championships, and you had that big win over number four Duke one just what was that experience for your team like and how big was it to be back in the indoor championships once again yeah I think to be back in the indoor championships and then to get to the quarters of it just establishes us as one of the top 10 teams in the country like year over year 
rather than just a one-off. And I think uh, that, that gives us a lot of confidence as a program. And then to, to knock off Duke, who we beat also in the semis of NCAAs the year before, was a huge accomplishment for this team because it just shows that, they're, that they have the level and that they're, they're there. So uh, I think for us it was, it was a big win, and, uh, and we're excited for the rest of the season as we continue to get better. If there's some OU fans coming out Saturday to watch your team for the first time, um, tell them about some of your featured athletes and who they really need to watch for on Saturday. Yeah, well, we, we have the Corley sisters that play number one doubles, and they're just a ton of fun to watch. Huge amount of energy. They hit big. They, they have unbelievable double skills. Um, very high level of tactics and strategy that you'll see happening on, on that court. And then, uh, and then we have a variety of different players. So we, we don't all play the same style of tennis where you're, you know, like the Serena Williams style where you go out and hit, hit the ball huge. And, uh, and then on another court we might – be really athletic and making a lot of balls and, and making getting balls back that you never thought you had a chance to get back. So you'll see a, a variety of tennis styles and games, but all at a very, very high level. I read that you recently said it's one of the toughest years in college tennis that you've ever seen. One, yeah. are we going to see that this weekend? And two, why is that the case? Why is this year, Audra, one of the toughest years you've seen with, with uh, collegiate tennis? I don't. I'm, I think a lot of it is, uh, you know, there's a WTA player that's top 100 in the world that's in college right now, at NC State actually. So, you know, I think it's becoming a, a more relevant pathway for some of the top pros. In fact, while they're playing on tour at the same time, they're able to go to college and play college tennis also. And so, uh, the the pathway that is there is. I think a lot of players at a very high level are realizing that the resources in college athletics and the, and the platform that, that is given being a part of a program that's bigger than them, they can capitalize on. And so a lot of better players are going to college players that might have in, in the past turned pro out of high school. So you don't see that as often anymore. More, more players are going to college and, uh, and the levels raising and that. And then in addition you know, I think the COVID years, uh, the this is the last or next year will be the last year where, where players can use their COVID years. So as that happens, it's like the it's still the strength that's on your roster is, is huge at every school. OU women's tennis head coach Audra Cohen is our guest. Arkansas, 10 a.m. on Saturday, Missouri's, uh, Missouri State, excuse me, 5 p.m. on Saturday. You mentioned it's going to be a fun matchup with the Hogs uh, Saturday morning. The SEC move is coming soon. Like, do, do you already see a school in the SEC that you think that you can develop a fun rivalry with? Have you already developed a fun rivalry with an SEC school? Like, it, it, like what, what does that look like for you about to, to go into that conference here in a couple of years? Yeah, I think historically uh, Oklahoma women's tennis has had a pretty fun rivalry, rivalry with Arkansas. Uh, but as we continue to advance as a program, I think a, a nice rivalry with uh, Texas A&M yeah. is, is headed in the near here. So. Uh, it's fun. It's, I think rivalries are what makes sports great, and we've built a great rivalry with uh, Texas in women's tennis. You know, I think last year was the first time we beat them in, in decades. So for us to, to have reestablished that rivalry as a tennis program is pretty important. Last question. Well. You, you, you're wanting a great home crowd on Saturday. What does that mean? What does a great home crowd look like? What does that mean for, uh, for your tennis program? It means they're not coming to watch Wimbledon. They're coming to watch college tennis. So be yeah. loud, 
There'll be free donuts. The tickets are free. You come on in and you can bring your own food. You can bring your own uh, drink, not alcoholic. Um, but you can come on in and, and have a, a great time watching college tennis in the college environment. So it's not Wimbledon. You don't have to be quiet and uh, and only you know clap for good points. We we get in. We bring a big crowd and have a lot of energy up there, and you can really sway a match as a as a spectator. You can change the dynamic of the match for the visiting team. And free donuts. And free donuts. I mean, who doesn't love free donuts? Yeah, exactly. 10 a.m., start your morning off right with some uh, collegiate tennis and some donuts. Audra, thanks so much for joining us. Best of luck this weekend. Thank you. There you go. Free tickets and free donuts? Are you kidding me? Oh, you in the hogs, 10 a.m. on Saturday? That's awesome. All right, the rush is coming up next. Keep it locked on the ref.